Hello, welcome to the Blue Grid podcast. This is your host, Major Ani Fedotova, a psychologist at Los Angeles Air Force Base. What makes us resilient? What is grit? Please join me as I set out to discover how we can become greedier. This podcast features current and former military leaders, mental health experts, elite athletes, veterans, special operators, superior performers, POWs, and others affiliated with the military who have overcome significant adversity. Each guest will discuss the unique methods and practices to help airmen and really all service members or anyone interested to build mental toughness and grit. The views expressed are those of the author or guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or the United States government. I'm excited to introduce Mark Zina, the host of the Hazard Ground podcast. Yes, I'm about to interview a host of another podcast that features military service members sharing their stories of combat and survival to help and inspire others, whether they're in the military or not. Mark, I'm going to let you introduce your podcast. Oh, thank you, Anya, for having me. Um, the Hazard Ground podcast is basically an idea that I had about four years ago. Um, as still a member of the United States Army, I'm still currently serving in the Army National Guard. Uh, in my armory, there is a long hallway, and they would have all of these these pictures of everything the National Guard has done throughout history, whether it's the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, Korea, World War II, whatever it may be. And there was this one picture of the Battle of Gar, And there's a small write-up underneath each picture about the engagement and who the picture highlights. And, you know, it just told this little story about how there was this Air Force medic, this Air National Guard medic, who was on the top of this mountain in Afghanistan, helping to save lives and keep wounded soldiers alive. And it was always an interesting story to me. And one day I was at drill and I had time to kill. And I said, let me just read up on this Battle of Takargar. And then I start reading up more on it. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, this is such an incredible story. How is this not a movie? How does the world not know about mm-hmm. the Battle of Takargar? And I began to think, I said, well, you know, American Sniper and Lone Survivor, you know, these are books that were made in major motion pictures, but how come no one's telling this story? And then obviously I thought that, look, there are thousands of other more stories, big, small, ones that people know about, may not know about. I mean, there are thousands of other stories. And I said, why are we not telling these stories every day? Why doesn't the rest of America know about the people who are involved in these and their background and what they did and how they're still surviving, how they're living today? And that was essentially the genesis for the idea for the podcast. And now just this past week, we have hit our 100th episode. Incredible. So we've been at it for two years now. And it's been a certainly a labor of love, as you can understand. We're very proud of the work we've put out. Our guest list includes everything from Medal of Honor recipients to authors to politicians to movie stars, movie directors. I mean, it's incredible to see what veterans and service members have done both in their career and beyond as they continue to grow and move on to the next chapter of their lives. And while some of them are still serving in some capacity, others have moved on to different things, whether it's interviewing the guy who ended up being the president and CEO of the Global War on Terror Memorial Foundation. They're erecting a memorial to the Global War on Terror in in Washington, D.C. in a couple of years. And that's somebody we've got a chance to speak with. People have these organizations that have worked with NFL teams, Major League Baseball, the National Basketball Association. Again, leaders of business, industry. It's unreal you find out what people are capable of, not only in combat, but beyond that. And so Hazard Ground continues to tell those stories every single week. 
really proud of the work that we've done, but it doesn't seem like work. As you can understand, when you come across these great individuals and you realize what they're still doing and, and what their lives are like going forward, it's just, it's an honor and a pleasure to meet these people. And I've certainly been humbled by the entire experience. So how long you've been doing this? You said you've just hit the 100th episode. That's, that's pretty incredible. Two years. I mean, with the exception of usually one week during the summer and a week between Christmas and New Year's, we've put out an episode a week for the last two years. So we're entering year number three and no sign of slowing down, no sign of stopping. We've just joined a couple of different podcast networks that have picked us up. So we're getting a lot of traction and a lot of notoriety from that standpoint. And we're hoping that we're even going to take it to another level going forward in year three. We've been approached by a couple of people about different formats, different platforms. So the Hazard Ground continues to grow. We're very excited about it. And we certainly are thankful to everybody who listens each and every week in our podcast audience. And we only hope to make that bigger and continue to tell great stories of, of America's heroes. That's incredible. Do you have a, a favorite episode? Uh, you know, it's, they're all different. Um, there are certainly some more memorable ones. And Nate Self is one story that I point to in particular because Nate Self was an Army Ranger captain. He was the guy who was in charge of all the Rangers on the top of that mountaintop in the Battle of Takagar. His story is the impetus for the podcast. So I always kind of point people to Nate because that's the story that drew me in the most. And Nate is... He's just an incredible human being. He wrote a book called Two Wars. One war was on the mountaintop, and the, the second war that he's fighting is personal battle within himself and post-traumatic stress. And so Nate's an incredible story. We, we have David Williams, who was one of the first pilots shot down in the invasion of Iraq. He was one of the first prisoners of war. He was in captivity for 23 days. A lot of people will remember the Jessica Lynch story and the 502nd Maintenance Company. Well, the other soldiers from the 502nd Maintenance Company who were ambushed on that convoy, the five who were captured were actually brought into the same area that David Williams, the pilot I just mentioned, was shot down. They were the first captives in the war in Iraq, and David was there about three weeks, uh, which was about two weeks longer than those folks from the 502nd Maintenance Company that was part of Jessica Lynch. So you can see the connectivity there. We interviewed Chris Kyle, the American sniper, his wife, Taya Kyle. Diane Layfield was a gold star mom. The Hazard Ground not only tells stories about veterans, but we've kind of branched out a little bit and touched those little side stories that people need to hear. Diane Layfield, a gold star mom, just to hear her talk about her son and go through the whole experience about how she was informed that her son was killed, who was a Marine. And to hear her just be forthright and honest and share that is, is just courageous in and of itself. And not to mention, she's a mom who's lost a child who's living every day, bearing that burden. I mean, that's an incredible story. Some people who have gone on to great things in business, if you're familiar with a company called Combat Flip Flops, um, this is Matthew Griffin and Donald Lee were two Army Rangers who went into business together after their time in the 75th Ranger Regiment, and they appeared on Shark Tank. They basically started making flip flops out of the boot soles that we wear, oh. and their company goes on to benefit. Like every time you buy a pair of flip flops, it puts an Afghan girl through a school, and that's their main mission statement. Cool. It's things like that. But you know what else is great on you? Margot Mange is an E4 specialist who just went to deploy. And there's nothing necessarily special or grand about her story, but hearing her perspective from this small little E4, and when I say small, I, I don't mean like small in stature. I just mean as far as the rank structure is concerned. You don't expect great things from somebody who's so junior within our ranks, but she tells an amazing story. And her perspective and her candor is refreshing. And just to hear that point of view, I remember her story vividly just because I was so taken back that this is someone who's so young, decided to enlist and had this experience that they've grown from and learned from. And even me, somebody who currently holds the rank of lieutenant colonel, when I hear that story from any form, I'm like, wow, 
you know, everybody has something to contribute. So you ask me if there's a favorite, there, there's just way too many to count. I think they all have their own special place. And I know that sounds like a pretty canned answer, kind of what you'd expect, but they're all different for different reasons. And I, I just appreciate everybody coming to the forefront and be willing to tell their story. I, I think that's the biggest thing for me is that everybody brings their own perspective and it's unique to them and, and hearing it is unique. So I think they're all different for different reasons. I'm curious, is there maybe a story that you feel changed you in any way or really enriched your life, really kind of made you pause and think and you come back to this over and over again? There is. It's one of these things where when I go over the guest list and I look at the names that are there, I remember Ryan Hepworth. He was a combat medic. And Ryan got really emotional in talking about everything that he saw. And think about it. You know, you're a combat medic in Iraq and knowing everything that's gone on, every, every soldier who comes through there, you know, their life is in your hands. And hearing him bear that burden and hearing the emotion that he really put forth was tough. Some of these stories that we hear really, if you're just a human with a beating heart, it's going to gut you from the inside out. And the reason for that is simply just because they're still fighting with it every day. And a lot of times you want to reach out and just give them a hug. You know, you want to just want to put your arms around them and tell them, hey, brother, I'm with you. You know, it's, it's all going to be okay. I think that a story like that is, is one I'll always remember. And Ryan reached out to me a couple of weeks or maybe a month or two after we had recorded and just called to say hello. Called to just check in and, hey, man, how you doing? You know, Mark, how's everything going? Just wanted to say hi, you know. And, and it's that sort of connection that stays with me for a really long time. And I'll always remember the fact that he picked up the phone and called because not a lot of people do that. With some of the guests that we have, they're fairly high profile individuals. And it's not like they are going to take the time to call a person who won an interview for a podcast back. And from that standpoint, that was always memorable. Jim Reese was another one that just kind of blew me away from the standpoint. Jim Reese was a special forces Delta operator. And he essentially crafted the invasion of Afghanistan and the invasion of Iraq for the United States government. The government basically reached out to the special forces and said, hey, we need a guy in the room who's going to help us with this. And the SF world, if you've ever been part of it, and I've been fortunate enough to deploy with those guys, you know, whenever a tasking comes down, they don't really look at like, who's the best guy for this job? Okay, we're all the same, right? So just grab Jim Reese. All right, Jim, here, Jim's a, it was an 04, he's a major at the time. And Jim, we need you to go to D.C. There's some politician. It was essentially sent to him that way. We need you to go to D.C. Some of these, these guys, you know, politicians want a, a special forces guy, and we're going to send you there. And Jim's sitting there thinking, God, this assignment stinks. You know, I'd rather be on the ground pounding pavement with my brothers and, and going out there and fighting a good fight. And next thing you know, Jim's in a room with the Secretary of Defense and the President and everybody else, and they're crafting the invasion of Afghanistan, the invasion of Iraq a couple of years later. I mean, that's just incredible. You know, I remember saying to Jim during the podcast, Jim, do, do you realize that you literally wrote history? And he says to me, no, I didn't. I said, no, Jim, hmm. you, you literally wrote history. Like not many people get the opportunity to do that or even ask to do it. Sometimes history just happens, right? But literally, when we look back on the invasion of Afghanistan, the invasion of Iraq, this is the guy that was the literal point and tip of the spear. And it's like, wow, that is unreal. Like, how do, you, how do you comprehend that and put that into context in the course of your life that you literally wrote history? So stories like that, they always stick with me. Their names, I'll just remember, and um, certain things about their story will always stay with me. What about the 
interviews that just didn't go as well as you had hoped or as you had planned? Can you think of an example where it just didn't go well? Well, I could tell two, okay? One that never got to air because his story on paper looked really exciting and really interesting. He just mm-hmm. couldn't tell it with any sense of interest. It was rambling. It was, it was, th- there was no coherence to it. Oh. Um, I sent it to my partner, Matt Pascarella, who really is the brains of the operation. He, he makes everything go. And I said, look, you listen to this. I, we even called him back to try to redo it again to see if we can say, hey, listen, well, this is what we're looking for a little bit more, this, that, and it just didn't work. It, it just did not work. We laugh about it to this day, him and I, because it's the only one that we haven't put to air for content reasons. Like it was, it was unreal that uh, there is an individual, it's the only person we ever, everybody has a story and he just couldn't tell his own in a way that was actually worthwhile to people to listen. It was, it was really, we, it was worth a chuckle after the fact. And I don't mean that in a, in a uh, disparaging way against the individual, just as far as content and what our audience and what our listeners look for, it wouldn't have answered the mail. So the story was good and it really happened. It's just he couldn't articulate that. Is that what you're saying? He just couldn't articulate it in a way that in listening on a podcast, you wouldn't fall asleep. Like it was, it was literally like he just, I'm sitting there interviewing him and I'm literally like dozing off. Like my head is in my hand next to the microphone. I'm like, oh my God, this is so boring. Like it just, okay. it, there was nothing about it that he could bring across that was really interesting. And I'm sitting here thinking, God, this, I'd rather just read this. It's, it's simpler. <laughs> so, mm. you know, um, it, it just, it just didn't work. That's really what it was. And then the second one, this is the only other one that never made it to air for publishing for us. It was a female, and she was somebody who was sexually assaulted in her time in the military. And we did the interview, and I thought it was an absolute home run. I mean, it was powerful. It was raw. It was emotional. She hit the nail right on the head. And I remember saying to her, when she started talking to me, I said, when I stand up in front of my formation, I'm literally going to tell everybody these exact words, because that's the way it needs to be said. And this is what people need to hear about sexual assault in our ranks and everything else. I thought it was an absolute home run. After we had recorded it, we were ready to go. She reached back to us and said, look, I, I don't know if I really told the story that I wanted to tell this, that, and the other. And, and you know, we're not out to, to make anybody look bad or, or break news or anything like that. We want people to be comfortable telling their story because it is their story. And we want them to tell it, not us. And so we said, look, we'll listen to it. We think it's great. Why don't you listen to it and why don't you, you know, tell us what you like and what you don't like and we'll try to maybe edit some things out or go over it. And she went back and listened to it and said, no, I'm not releasing it. We're not doing it. And we pleaded with her, like literally, I I literally pleaded with her via email and phone calls. I'm saying, look, trust us on this. We've been doing this for a while. Look at the names on our guest list. These are people who have okayed us to tell their story. You're not off the mark here. I know you feel like you are. But she said, you know, I felt like that was the only part of the story that I told. I said, but that was the most important part. People need to hear it. I understand we're telling stories of combat and survival, but this, you had to survive this. And this is important. And this is, our audience is going to, it's going to resonate with them. They're going to understand why this is important. And so she just basically put the kibosh on it and said, nope, you're not doing it. You're not releasing it. And we respected her wishes. Now, it was frustrating. It was really, really frustrating because I thought it was powerful and I thought it would have absolutely been one I would have talked about to everybody and told people about and said, look, you need to hear this. Um, I, I, it's something that I would, have, I would have passed along to fellow high-ranking officers in my ranks and said, listen to this. Listen to this story because this is what we should be telling the people within our formations about what sexual assault is doing to our formation and to our soldiers. And so 
I, I was really sad that that one didn't go to air, but again, we respected her wishes. We're, we're not in the business of doing things against people's wishes. It doesn't benefit us. We don't want to be known as that type of podcast or organization, for lack of a better term, that's going to say, you know, screw you, we're going to do what we want because it's about us. It's not about, no, it's about you. It's about you, the person telling the story. So it never made it to air. And uh, to me, that's sad. Was she saying that there's a lot more to her story? There's a lot more to her past and to, to combat story than the sexual assault? Is that what she was saying? Or was she I saying think, that it was just too much and maybe she just couldn't bear the vulnerability be public? I think what I gathered from her, and again, a lot of our conversation was over email, but what, what I took from it was that she just felt like she made the sexual assault too much of her story. I see, I see. You know, it, it was, it was, there was more to what she did in the military and, and who she is than just that. She didn't want it to define her. And I get that and I understand that. And I told her, I said, look, we can re-record it, but I, I, I think it's going to lose the juice. I, I think it's going to lose the juice with our audience. And from that standpoint, we said, if you don't want to release it, fine. There's no reason for us to release a dumbed down version of it. We didn't see the value in that given our audience is going to sit there and look at us and go, well, why didn't you ask more about this? Why didn't you ask more about the assault? Because that's naturally what would lead the audience. If you hear it, people obviously want to know more about it. It's not something that you can just kind of gloss over like, oh, hey, you know, I, I went to basic training in AIT and, you know, I got to my unit and we trained a lot and I got sexually assaulted and then I deployed and, you know, and then I came home and everything. Like, you can't just gloss over that kind of thing. And so without that being a big part of her story, it just kind of felt like, well, you, you know, how do we tell this story? If you don't mention it at all, fine, but then really it didn't add up for us. Once she backed off it, it just didn't add up for us. And we felt like we were doing our audience a disservice by only making that a small part of the story because people would want to know. And again, part of it is, you know, the audience doesn't look at it and go, well, you know, you should have told this story more than the other because you listen to what you're told, so to speak. As a listener of a podcast, you're not, you're not really thinking, well, this would have been a better story that if you did this and you did that. And maybe to a certain extent, some people are, but I don't know. We just... It, it, when she said no, we left it at that and kind of just moved on. But I really do feel like she didn't want it to be something that defined her in the eyes of a public because she felt like it didn't. So, and, and, and we can respect that. We can understand that. And, and we didn't want to make it that we told her, look, that's a natural, obvious reaction. But that said, the way you tell this is so powerful. You know, people need to hear it. She just didn't want it to happen. So we respected that and moved on. That kind of leads me to the next question, somewhat selfish. How do you deal with subjects that are more controversial, maybe politically charged? Do you have any kind of rule or filter of exclusion? I'm asking because I have had some struggles and had to just make a decision. I'm not going to include this. I just think it's unnecessary. What's, what's your take on that? Well, listen, we approach everything head on. Uh, there's nothing that we're going to shy away from. Me as the interviewer, I welcome those uncomfortable topics. I feel like we do a great job on the podcast in hitting the issues head on and allowing the people to tell their story and discuss the issue from their point of view. For example, I mean, we've interviewed a ton of Vietnam vets, a ton of them. And, and I asked the question directly, are you okay with what our government did? Are you okay with the decisions that they made? And some will flat out tell you no. You know, we were, we were lied to, we were misled, and it, it was wrong, and we're in this spot today because of the decisions of people who never put on a uniform, and they have altered my life, not for the better, and that's a fair assessment. 
And I think there's an open discussion there. And look, I, I, th- I think we also do a good job, and me as the interviewer does a good job, of not allowing my personal beliefs to sway the discussion to one way or another or force the interview subject down a different road. Now, I certainly will play devil's advocate with every person I interview. If they have one point, I will present the counterpoint because I want them to not only address it, but I want the audience to understand both sides of the issue. And so from that standpoint, I don't think there's anything that we shy away from, whether it's political in nature or not. I want to hear people tell those stories. For example, if you're familiar with the website Task and Purpose, it's a military-related website that has military news. It's actually a really good place for information. And I think their writers do a very good job of presenting the facts without any political spin to it. But we interviewed two different guys who were tied to that. Zach Iskol is the guy who actually founded it. And now Paul Zoldra is the editor-in-chief of it. And both of those guys have very strong political views on what's gone on in government as it pertains to our military and the decisions that they've made. And I allowed them to have those views and have those decisions, but I also welcome the discussion to the fact that, hey, the logic behind the government, at least what I think, is this is why they did it. Another guest that we had, John Jones, he is a double amputee Marine, lost both of his legs. And you may remember a couple of years ago, while Colin Kaepernick, the NFL quarterback, was kneeling and sitting during the national anthem, President Trump at the time, I think he was making his run for office, and this was in the beginning of 2016 held up a picture of John Jones with both of his legs missing as he was sitting down and said something to the effect of, this guy would stand for the anthem if he could. And John Jones basically clapped back at the time, Donald Trump, before he became president, said, don't use me as a political prop. And we had a big political discussion on it. We had a big discussion on how he felt about that as he was used as one and and why he was against it and so on and so forth. And the kneeling for the anthem thing is a very divisive issue for a lot of people, but I, I think we did a really good job at approaching it head on and presenting both sides of the story and allowing John to give his opinions and his feelings because, well, we're telling his story. I'm not going to tell him his feelings are wrong. I'm just going to allow him to give his story the way he feels that he needs to. If I disagree, I can flat out tell him I disagree, but it's not yeah. something I'm going to get stuck on because I'm not turning this into a debate show. It's a podcast about his story and his experience in the military. So I allow that to be the final word on things, even though I'll present both sides. And even if I disagree, I'll tell them. But I think there's healthy spirit of discussions. I don't think anybody has ever gotten contentious with anybody. I think everybody understands what we do as far as the hazard ground is concerned and why we do it. And I think they're okay with that. And they're not afraid to answer tough questions. Hmm. And how do you manage the podcast? And I know you a colonel in the army, and then you have a family and and you have other side projects. How do you manage your time? How do you manage all your responsibilities? It's tough, but there are days where I'll get a call from my partner, Matt, about X, Y, and Z that needs to get done for the podcast and this, that, and the other. And it's, you know, there are days that it's just like, oh God, this is the last thing I need to be doing right now because I have so many other things going on, whether it's my kids or work responsibilities, guard responsibilities, meetings for, I'm constantly... Even though the National Guard, they tell you it's a one week in a month, two weeks during the summer, when you're a battalion commander, every single day there's something military related that's going on. Every single day, I, I've got to take a phone call, I've got to go into a meeting, I've got to sign paperwork, whatever it may be. And some of these stuff is small and, it, and it's real quick, but it's still responsibilities that I can't just push to the side. And so I remind myself, and I get reminded often. Usually it's one of those things where like, if I have to record a podcast and it's inconvenient, I sit down to do it. And then literally like three minutes in, I totally forget anything that ever bothered me about doing it. I just get caught up in the story. 
I get caught up in the individual that I'm talking to. And by the time it's done, I sit there, I'm like, damn, that was great. I'm glad I did that. Like, uh, mm-hmm. that's going to be awesome for our audience. And, and I get really excited. And then, of course, people come up to me and give me feedback on it. Hey, you know, I saw your podcast and hey, I listened to this episode. That was amazing. Somebody will shoot me a text or a note on social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook. Hey, this was a great episode. That was so amazing. I love listening each week when you guys, you know, and I'm like, wow, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. And it's, it's, it's a balancing act like anything else. And I'm sure you, you have the same thing struggling between patience and work and, and everything else and all the other responsibilities. But the reward you get for doing something like this is, is, unreal and then even to another level the people that we've met and the organizations that we've come across and you know people have reached out to me and said hey mark you know we'd love to have you part of this and we really like you to be part of that and i I, you know can you speak to these group of veterans and this that and the other and i'm like wow you're asking me like just because i host a podcast i mean people see the value in in what we're doing and people see the value in the stories that we're telling and us just being a vehicle for that Again, I like to highlight the people who have told the stories more than I do myself or Matt or, or, or the work that we've done. We're just kind of that viaduct to get the stories out there to the public. And the fact that people reach out to us for those type of things, I think, is incredibly rewarding. I mean, it's just a constant reminder of why, even if it's inconvenient at times, to do the work that we need to do, Matt and I never look to the side and say, no, we're not going to do it. We're, we're always putting our best foot forward when it comes to the pod because there's a benefit to so many people in the work that we do. Yeah, I feel very similarly as well. Um, and, and I think to add to this, just the, the, the people that I've met and the relationships that I've developed with them, you know, is you feel yeah. like you get to know your guests a little bit more intimately. And then there is depth to those connections that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And I feel that enriches your life in so many ways. Yeah. And, and to that end, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I wrote a note on Facebook to, to everybody because I'm not like a big Facebook poster anymore, you know, just because I don't have the time to sit there and, and throw every thought that I have onto social media. But I, I did do a write up on the fact that we had our 100th episode coming out this past week. And, I, you know, I remarked that this has changed lives, what we've done. And I don't say that lightly at all. But most importantly, it's changed my life. You know, it's changed our life, my, myself and my partner, Matt. Yeah. We are incredibly grateful for the work that we get to do. It's not really work from that standpoint. Again, as I just said, sometimes it's inconvenient timing-wise, but it's never work for us. And the idea that we're connecting people together, connecting organizations, and putting veterans in touch with other veterans to help each other out. I mean, we have been incredibly, incredibly grateful for that opportunity to, to change lives. And at the end of it, the lives that we've changed the most are our own. And to that end, I don't see us ever putting this project down and saying, you know what, it's, it's, not, it's not for us anymore. I mean, I think we just, we get so much out of it and the, the work is easy. And so from that standpoint, the benefit of, of impacting lives at the level that we have is, is, has been something that we could have never predicted. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever received negative feedback maybe helpful or unhelpful, but negative feedback and sort of that made you pause and like, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I need to be doing something differently and unexpectedly um, negative feedback. Um, you know, a little bit here and there. Uh, I, I'm not much for seeking that kind of thing out. So many people have emailed us and said this, that, and the other, or one of the critiques we've gotten is why don't you have more females? And we tell everybody, look, it's not that we're not trying. It's a demographic that we want. We want to hit as much of every demographic as possible, whether it's females, African-Americans, Asian-American, whatever it may be. 
Um, we're, we're not necessarily just stuck on one. We, we look more to the story first and then worry about the, the you know, the, the individual later because the story is what matters. That said, it is important to find those stories that females um, have. You know, I mean, you got to remember, only 13% of the armed services is female, so it's 87% males. You have to actively search for female stories. It's not something you can just sit back and be passive about, and so we have done that. You know, people have critiqued certain things about the way uh, I've conducted an interview or what topics we've hit on or haven't hit on, so to speak. But, I mean, it's not that I have a blind, you know, I'm blind to it, the fact that people may not like our work. That's okay. I don't think we go into this looking for approval. I think we go into this looking for a story to tell that's going to change somebody's life, that's going to impact somebody, that it's going to have somebody who's having a bad day remember that it's not that bad because I have all four of my limbs and I can walk to work every day and things of that nature. I mean, it's, it's that sort of stuff that, that we're hoping to highlight in telling these stories. And that's most of the feedback we get. I'm sure there's negative feedback out there. I'm not dumb enough to assume that everybody loves everything that we do, but I don't you know, necessarily look for that stuff. My partner, Matt, finds it every now and then. If he feels the critique is valid, we certainly have a discussion about it. And we talk about what we need to do and things we can highlight and focus on. And I think that because Matt manages, <laughs> he manages uh, the iTunes site and everything else. So, and he directly gets all the emails from listeners and, and things of that nature. That's why I keep kind of diverting to Matt. But, you know, he certainly, again, we'll have a discussion about it. And I think that if there's value to it, we focus on it and we try to do better. But most of this, again, is you got to remember when I do a, when I record a podcast on you, I'm talking maybe 20% of the time. 80% it's them. And that's the way we want it. It's their story to tell. It's not mine. I, I shouldn't be dominating the interview by any stretch of the imagination. Sure, I have my own experience. And some of that I relate to whoever I'm interviewing. And it brings out another level to the topic or another level to the discussion. And I think that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's about them. So I, I try to let them do most of the talking. So tell me about Matt. You mentioned him quite a few times. Tell me about your friendship. And I know he was a big part of starting this off the ground. Yeah. So Matt and I were lieutenants together at our officer basic course coming up now on 20 years ago. And so that's where we met. And we've been friends ever since. And when I first had this idea, I had no idea how to get a podcast off the ground. I didn't know what to do, but I knew, I knew it was a space I wanted to be. And I knew it was a area that we could excel in. And when I had mentioned the idea to Matt, I knew that Matt was a big podcast listener. Like that he, he listens to him religiously. That's what he does. And he's always wanted to start one. So it was a natural fit when I approached him with the idea. I said, listen, I got this idea, you know, and uh, you know, would you be interested in, in trying to help me get this thing off the ground? And he was absolutely, you know, he jumped on board immediately. Uh, and Matt was the one who first got me all the equipment that we needed to start podcasting, set up the site and help build the website and everything else. I mean, I, it, it's funny, it, as much as I get a lot of the notoriety for the podcast because I'm the voice that people hear and I'm the name that's on it for the most part, uh, I, I say this 100% um, that this podcast is nowhere near successful. It's not successful at all without Matt. Matt is the producer. He handles all the technical stuff behind the scenes. Matt researches and gets the information on 90% of all the guests that we do. He does a great job, an incredible job of prepping me for the interview, gets me the, the information that I need, the articles. And, you know, even at times when, when something specific about a guest needs to be told, we'll have a conversation. This is the angle we should pursue. And this is what we want to highlight. And Matt has at length discussions with the guests before 
they get to me, so they're prepped for what goes on. I'm prepped for what goes on with the guests and what they want to talk about, so on and so forth. I mean, he really just is the foundation of this whole thing. And we've been friends for 20 years. It's like nothing's changed. I love him like a brother, you know, from times where we were 21 year old kids doing dumb stuff together and living at Fort Hood, Texas together, where we were both stationed at the time and through. I'm deploying to Iraq and he is back home. You know, I missed his wedding because I was in Iraq when he got married and, and, you know, he was at my wedding. And I mean, it was, we've just been through everything together as friends and every so often, once or twice a year, you know, we'll all get together guys that we, you know, know, and just, uh, hang out for a weekend and have a couple of drinks and reminisce and laugh and things of that nature. But, uh, you know, I don't have any level of success with this podcast without him. He is, again, the foundation. He's the rock of this whole thing, and he deserves a thousand times more credit than I ever would for this being successful. He's just, without him, this thing goes off the rails quickly. We're never anywhere as good as we are. We're probably not 100 episodes deep. And, and I, I say all this, again, just to, to let Matt know and give him the pat on the back that he rightly deserves that this podcast is every bit as much as his as it is mine. Again, people associate me because I'm the voice, you know, and, and I'm the name that people know. That said, it's, uh, we don't have any success without Matt. He is everything that this podcast is about, and it's, it's his hard work and his diligence every single day to this thing that makes it successful, nothing else. So 100th episode, you interviewed 100 people with stories of grit and resilience. What would you say you've learned about grit? What, what, what's the recipe for grit? You know, I think that when you hear people's stories, um, the one thing that drives everybody is the man next to him, the woman next to him, the person in uniform next to him. I think that's the one thing that keeps everybody going. I think that's the one takeaway that you leave here with. Like, and I've deployed, and I know, and, and I've been there, so I understand and I get it. But to hear people verbalize it as often and as repetitive as they do, you know, no matter what it is, whether a guy just got his leg blown off, he's sitting there going, I don't want to leave. I just want to be with my brothers. You know, to hear um, Kirstie Ennis, who, who was a helicopter gunner, and when the helicopter crashed, it landed on her and she lost her leg. And to hear her just say, I just wanted to get back in the fight. I just wanted to be there with everybody else. Like that to me is the grit that you're talking about. It is being there for the person next to you. The bonds of war are unbreakable. I think it's to a certain extent, I think it's stronger than family bonds. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it is as much as it is a, an innate desire to protect those around you that you love, learning to protect people that you don't know and have only come to know through military service is something that is really hard to grasp because think about it. I mean, you know, you love your family and you've grown up with them, you've known them for years and everything else, but in, in two short years of serving with somebody side by side or even a couple of short months of just a brand new soldier getting to a unit and learning the guys and, and gals around him, that person is instantly family to them. And, and there's somebody there waiting to lay down their life for that individual. I, you know, it's just everyone says, thank you for your service, thank you for your service. And, and I, I don't think what they understand more of is the sacrifice we're willing to make for others. Um, and, and service and sacrifice often get lumped together, but they're two vastly different things because there's a, there's a lot of ways to serve without sacrificing. And it's the sacrifice that you're willing to make for the person next to you. 
I, I think that it is a is a whole nother level. And for us who put on the uniform, all of us, that sacrifice is, it's there. I have I have yet to to find an individual who I've heard on the podcast tell me, well, you know, I just I, I couldn't get there. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't about to to make that decision for my buddy. You know, I mean, everyone's always willing to go that extra step, that extra mile for the person next to him. And I think that is where that grit comes from. It's that's the driving force behind it, and it's something special. It's unique. It bonds us together forever, and I don't think you find it in any other walk of life. I agree with you. The sense of togetherness and, and being part of something bigger than yourself is, is powerful. I see patients in my office who feel disconnected, betrayed sometimes maybe that they've lost trust. Maybe they come back from deployment and they experience post-traumatic stress disorder and depression and they feel complete disconnect from other people. What are your thoughts on kind of the sense of togetherness and cohesion for somebody like that? And how do you, how do you help them? You know, a lot of that that I see on the podcast, that disconnection comes from the inability, for lack of a better term, to, to save somebody else. They feel severed because they feel like they let everybody down. And that's another overarching, pervading feeling that a lot of people have is that when things go wrong, that they've let somebody down. Now, I say it on the podcast all the time, there is no order to war. It is as random as random can be. I don't have a legitimate explanation as to why I'm sitting here talking to you today. And there are tens of thousands of others who have been wounded or killed in, in action. I don't have a, a logical reason. And, and some of it's luck, some of it's training, some of it's the grace of God, I believe. But one way or another, there is no order to combat. And because it's so random and chaotic... When you can't control those things, I think when you lose a, a fallen comrade and people feel responsible for the individual, and when they don't save them, I think they feel like it's severing that connection. You know, the, the, the bonds of war that I talk about that are unbreakable, they, they, they are broken only when you can't care for the person next to you because that's your only job, right? I mean, outside of the mission that you're tasked with, the, the first mission you're always with is bring everybody back alive. And so from that standpoint, I think there's a lot of disconnection from losing somebody because you felt like there was something you could have done to save the individual, even if you have been told repeatedly. And even if all the statistics and, and the recounts and, the, and the, 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 the kind of replays of the actual engagement in battle proves that you had nothing to do with it and there was nothing you could do, you still feel it. And you still feel that you have let somebody down. And, and that, I think, kind of creates that sever or cuts those bonds that seem so unbreakable. And I think it's just, as you would understand it, that's a perspective thing. It's not that they should be broken. It's that they should be stronger because you have to keep them alive and you have to make their sacrifice worth it and everything else. But it's, there's, there's a ton of guilt in combat. I mean, it, it's, it, it's unforgiving from that standpoint. Emotionally, I mean, it, 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 what it does to different people, and I think that's some of the other things on the podcast that we always end up coming back to, is how people deal with what they went through. Some people compartmentalize well. Some people have to bear the burden every day. Some people turn to alcohol. They turn to drugs. They, they, they lead a different life that they weren't meant to lead because they don't know how to deal with what they're feeling. But at the end of the day, a lot of that comes from the simple fact that they get down that road because they feel like they lost something and, and that, that bond of war, that bond of brotherhood gets severed somehow. And I think that disconnection 
is a big part of the post-traumatic stress issues that we see in the fact that you lose that connection. Even for people who don't really have anything necessarily traumatic happen, when you leave the service and you leave those individuals, you know, they're your purpose, they're your reason. And then all of a sudden they're gone. And now since you have no purpose, you have no reason, you kind of make decisions that aren't in your best interest in order to fill that void. Um, I, I, it's such a blessing, but also can be a burden, those bonds of war and the, and, and the brotherhood and the camaraderie that we all experience with each other. The blessing of it is that you'll find somebody who will save your life and you'll save somebody else's life. But the burden comes in the fact when you don't, can't save somebody's life or it doesn't happen or you know, you're not next to those people every single day, it changes your focus. So it's, it's a double-edged sword in that aspect. And for you personally, have there been times when you felt you didn't have that grit or you didn't have resilience, the darkest time? And how did you deal with that? You know, during my first deployment, I, I got very fortunate. I always tell people that if you laid out all the assignments in Iraq for a mid-grade captain and asked me to choose one, I couldn't have chosen a better one. I got very lucky. With my assignment, I was attached to the special forces. And that said, I got to do things and experience things I wasn't qualified to do, I wasn't trained to do. But in that environment, it's sink or swim. You know, they throw you in the deep end and, and say, figure it out. And I was somebody who was good at figuring things out. And the one way I knew that they respected me, even though I didn't have the tab that they had as far as special forces was concerned, they just kept giving me more work because they knew I was competent enough to handle it. And so from that standpoint, I saw more combat time than probably 75% of the infantry did while I was in Iraq because they were busy guarding gates and guarding prisons and everything else. Uh, I was running convoys through Baghdad and all through Iraq with my hair on fire for 15 months. So I was very fortunate in that aspect. But, you know, I think I'm, I'm a human like anybody else. And there would be days where I know we were going outside the wire and we were going out on a mission and I would wake up with just this sinking feeling in my stomach that today was the day. Like, we, we've, we've rolled the dice too many times. Something bad has got to happen today. And it would almost consume me. And my thought was that I can't let anybody else see this emotion come over me. I can't let anybody else see the fear because if they see it, then it's going to make it 10 times worse for them. And so as we would be getting ready, um, getting our vehicles ready and getting our equipment ready to roll out and everything else, I would, once we got close towards the end, I would, I would just go find a quiet place behind the building that we were getting ready at. And I would just go in a corner and I would pray and I would ask God for the strength to get through this. I would ask him that if today was my last day on earth, that take care of my family. And most importantly, I'd ask him whatever happens out there, just let me do what I'm trained to do. Don't let me cower in the moment. Let me make sure that uh, I'm taking care of my soldiers first and, and taking care of their needs and not thinking about myself and making sure that he gave me the strength to get through all that. And that may be a little bit religious for people, but after I was done saying all those things, I took a deep breath and I exhaled and I let it go. And I left it in God's hands at that point. And I went out there and I did my job. And thankfully, God gave me the strength and the grace to, to do it the right way because I brought everybody back. And uh, from that standpoint, when you talk about getting through those tough moments and, and having that grit, it was just falling back on my training and making sure that I did not ever once think about doing something that I wasn't trained to do. I wanted everything to be reactionary. I wanted everything to be instinctual just because sometimes if you allow thought to creep in, common sense sometimes takes over and you go, well, that's this. Hey, it's not really smart to walk towards the gunfire. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a very normal, commonsensical thing. But in the heat of the moment, uh, it's more about doing what you're trained to do and, and staying in the fight than it is 
protecting yourself, which is a natural, I think it's a natural instinct. So it's counterintuitive to, to sit there and, and do some of the things that we're asked to do in battle and have that grit going forward. But like anybody else, I, I always feel like I'm human and I'm susceptible to the same feelings, emotions, thoughts, and fears that everybody else is. And I, I ask the question often and I get a variety of different answers to our guests. Were you scared? Did fear, did fear overcome you? And people say no, and people say yes. I mean, it, it's, it's different for every individual. There's no set standard that everybody has to adhere to as far as how you handle these extremely terrifying, life-defining moments. And for everybody who goes through it, they have their own way of handling it and their own way of dealing with it. And I'm never surprised at any of the answers. Again, it's a wide variety, and I think that's what makes some of what we do on the podcast really, really unique is that everybody's perspective brings something different to the table. And so from that standpoint, how they handle those moments and how they go through with grit and how they are able to, to keep that grit with them as opposed to letting it go, I think is uh, some of the unique nature of what we're doing with the hazard ground. So if I, if I am summarizing what you've gathered from your guests and what you've learned yourself, I'm hearing two things at least. One is a sense of togetherness and cohesion or belonging. And then the second maybe higher power, kind of letting go and giving whatever happens to the higher power. Am I summarizing it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, and again, I think that's different for everybody. One of the things I've learned through the podcast is that not everybody has that higher power. A lot more pragmatic, practical people will look at it and say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad God's involved in this, but God's not coming down and stopping a bullet from coming my way. So from that mm -hmm. standpoint, it's, it, I, I rely on training and everything else. I mean, you don't have to be over-religious or even religious at all to do what you're trained to do in combat. But that said, you know, that's just me. You know, I'm, I'm an individual who is, who, who relies on God and prayer and it's part of my life and who I am. And while that's good for me, it may not be good for everybody, but I do think that whether it's relying on a higher power or the person next to you, as you talked about that, that togetherness, it's what gets the individual through. Whatever gets right. you through those tough moments is really what you're going to rely on and what you're going to lean on when all the chips are on the table and something's happening that you're going to have to make a decision one way or another. But I think for each individual, that's, that's different and, and that's okay. Any words of wisdom for those service members who are currently struggling with whatever comes their way with their daily difficulties? You are not alone. You'll never be alone in this fight. Um, there's no reason for you to ever feel alone. There are people who are going through the same thing and there are people who want to help you. It's not anything that you should worry about being looked at uh, as weak, as inferior for. Um, whatever you are dealing with, talk with somebody. And it doesn't matter whether it's a military service member. And you know, here's the thing. I get that it's hard to talk to non-service members about this stuff because they just don't get it. They don't understand. And it, and, and it does feel like a burden to have to go through every minute detail about what happens and why and everything else. But you know what? Still talking to somebody generally about what you're thinking and feeling is really, really important because at least at a standpoint, they can help you find somebody who can understand those things. And part of what makes the Hazard Ground successful is that when I talk to these people, they know I understand. They know that I can relate to them on the same level because I've been through the same things or similar things. To that end, whatever you're struggling with, there is somebody who has been through the same thing or similar things. We cannot continue as veterans and even current service members to allow some sort of stigma about how we feel and what war and combat has done to us to hold us back from continuing to be a better individual. It is paramount 
that we as individuals take the steps to get help because your life for as much as other people depended on it while you're in combat, people are depending on you as much now back at home. It doesn't feel that way, but trust me, it is. You can impact so many lives as a veteran that you haven't even begun to understand, but you can't do that if you are not in a place where you're willing to talk to people about what's going on with you. And so from that end, I would tell people, you're not alone. Do not hold back. Get it all out. Talk to somebody. Talk to anybody who is willing to listen about what's on your mind because you're not broken. And even if you think you are, you can be fixed. There is a world and a life ahead of you that is much, much better than what you lived and saw in combat. I can guarantee you that much. It's just a question of you wanting to look through the proper lens to find it. And you need help sometimes to find that lens. And there are people out there who are willing to do it. And I I just highly recommend to everybody that even if it's something that's small, even if it's something that you don't think is big, let somebody else who's a professional tell you whether it's big or small. You just talk. You just get it out there and you let everybody know where you are and it'll get right quicker than you think. So empowering and powerful. I couldn't have said it better. I have so many more questions. Any closing remarks? So is anything that you need me to ask you or just to add before we close up today? No, again, I just would like to say thank you to all the listeners of the Hazard Ground podcast. We love the work that we do. Continue to support the podcast in any way possible. Listen, tell a friend about it. If you know anybody who has a great story, reach out to us on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us. We want to tell everybody's story. I mean, we are not biased against anybody. It doesn't have to be, again, as I said, something grand that you did or something that you got a medal on your chest for. That's not what the Hazard Ground is about. It's about just telling your story and getting it out there to the world because your story is unique and it has a place. Just like whatever your branch of service is, whatever your job is, whether you're the mail clerk or you're on the front lines, you have a piece of the pie. And your piece is as important as everybody else because the pie isn't whole without you. So from that standpoint, we welcome everybody to listen to the podcast, to become part of it if you're somebody who has a a story to tell. And certainly the same for your podcast. I think it's great that we're all doing this thing together. And just don't forget any of your fellow veterans and service members. Remember, we're all still on the same team. Whatever is going on, we're all on the same team. It's all all of us together trying to fight one fight. And as long as you're in it with the person next to you, everything's going to be okay. But I certainly thank you for your time and allowing me to have this platform and certainly allowing me to talk about the Hazard Ground podcast. No, thank you so much for your time. Mark Zinno, the host of the Hazard Ground podcast. This is your host, Major Anya Fedotova. Thank you for listening to the Blue Grid podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed this interview. My goal is to air the narratives of courage, vulnerability, and crit to normalize the airmen's own challenges and help them internalize the message of hope and recovery. This discussion is not a formal medical advice, and any techniques, treatment, diagnosis, or alternative actions discussed are not a recommended treatment or course of action for all listeners, and are not a replacement for professional medical assistance. You are encouraged to seek medical or psychological help for your unique issue. If you have feedback, please find me in the global. My email is anavfedotova.mil at mail.mil. It's anna.v.fedotova.mil at mail.mil.